hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share it with someone you love. And if you're interested in becoming a client for energy coaching or card readings, find me at thelovelyalia.com to read more about what I do and to book your own session. And don't forget to add me on the lovely Leah on Instagram for daily content and inspiration and hang out with me on Patreon. As always, thank you for listening. Are you ready to manifest incredible love? Not just love, but healthy, meaningful, aligned love. Hi, I'm Aliyah Lovely, the host of Chart Topping Podcast, Spiritual Shit. And I'm Shireen Askandani, coach and founder of Wholehearted Coaching. We've both manifested amazing partnerships and want to show you how to do that in your own life by unlocking your energy and mindset. So we've created Manifest Them, the online course to call in your soulmate. With over six hours of content, worksheets, bonus meditations, and breathwork exercises, this course will show you exactly how to shift your beliefs and frequency to manifest your equal and capable partner. This course will not only teach you how to call in your soulmate, but also how to nurture a loving, healthy relationship. If you're interested in finding love or finding out more about how to manifest, head over to manifestthem.com. Open the door, love, and step into the partnership you've always desired. Hello, everyone. I hope that last week's uh, induction into Mercury being in retrograde hasn't been too rough on you, Uh, that this week has actually gone swimmingly for you, I hope. Um, And if not, I hope you learned from it, whatever that lesson may have been. (laughs) Um, I just got back from a six-day trip, and uh, I went to Charleston and Savannah, and it was really cool to go down there because I haven't been actually to that part of my country before. And I was down there to shoot a wedding and, and it was really cool. It was really cool. Um, we had a good time and we just haven't traveled in a really, really, really long time as most of you probably have not as well. And so it was nice to, um, kind of go around and, and see some of those sites, especially Charleston. I was really surprised with how much I liked it. Um, and then also the, the energetic vibes that came off of it for sure. Um, never mind that you can hear Veda. She's, uh, playing on the floor next to me right now. Cause we got to get this episode out today. I know you thought some of you thought maybe it wasn't coming out cause it came out later than it usually does. Um, but yeah, we just got back and I'm dedicated to the show and I'm dedicated to you guys. So, you know, hell or high water, we're getting an episode out today. <laughs> and I'm actually really excited about today's episode. Um, we have Ryan Haddon and she has a, she's a wealth of information and we talk a lot of different about a lot of different things uh, that are really, really wonderful to get into. So um, before we get into that, just a few announcements uh, as per usual. Um, my Instagram is only the lovely Aaliyah. If you are getting DM'd by someone that does not have that exact handle, that is um, a scammer <laughs> trying to get you for money and for readings. Um, our readings will open back up next month. I took a break. And so, um, you know, with all the kind of like rigmarole and stuff going on, I just didn't like the energy that was around it. So we took a break. But you can see me on patreon.com slash the lovely Leah uh, for our monthly workshops. And um, our workshop this month is going to be October 10th at 11 CST. And we're going to be talking about spirituality and business. So your spiritual gifts along with um, business gifts. She's back there laughing. <laughs> Hi, Vita. 
Hey girl. And say hi. Okay. Now she's quiet, of course. So uh, anyway, uh, so if you would like to hang out with me, uh, become a $10 member so that way you can be a part of that workshop. We have them monthly and then we're going to start doing some new moon circles and other fun things. So that'll be a good time. And thank you so much for all the messages I got about last week's episode. I'm so glad that it, uh, it really resonated with very many of you. Um, I'm, I'm so, I'm so happy that me being able to be that vulnerable is, is well received. Um, so anyway, I'm just, I'm thankful for you guys and that for another week. So is Veda. And <laughs> I, I just think that it's like, like this is real life guys. So like, you know, this week we, we had literally, I've just gotten back from the airport. I've been here maybe 20 minutes. We kind of cleaned up the house a little bit and getting ready to pick up our, our step kids and Veda is just having herself a good old time. So anyway, hope you enjoy this episode. Let's get started. Ryan Haddon is a certified life coach and spiritual coach, a clinical hypnotherapist, and a certified meditation teacher with over 16 years of experience with clients around the world. She's had a wonderful, unique life growing up in Toronto, New York, and Paris, and at 17, she fell in love with meditation, which took her to India, where she discovered a lifelong love of spirituality. Coming stateside, though, she ended up working in Hollywood, and while there, she lost her way, getting caught up in looking for happiness in all the wrong experiences. When she hit rock bottom very publicly, she had to rebuild a better version of herself so she could cope on life's terms. This journey led her to working with other women and helping them heal from toxic relationships, drug and alcohol abuse, eating disorders, codependency, low self-esteem, and ultimately a lack of self-love, passing on to them what she was learning to heal in herself. She became a mentor, assisting women in recreating lives and thriving in them. And in doing so, she discovered a passion for helping others while she solidified her own commitment to growing and changing. Ryan is now a public speaker for loads of retreats around the world and wellness events, as well as taught meditation for the U.S. government sector event. She does private workshops, and she's also the leading contributor at Kourtney Kardashian's website, Push, where she's written more than 50 mind-body-spirit articles. She writes for other publications such as Mind Body Green, Authority Magazine, and Parents Magazine, and she's been on dozens of podcasts speaking about relationships, self-development, and purpose-driven life, including now, this one. Please welcome Ryan to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Spiritual Shit. I'm your host, Aaliyah Lovely. And today we have Ryan Haddon, who is a hypnotherapist, a coach, a wonderful spiritual leader. Say hey to everybody. Hello, everyone. So nice to be here. Thank you for, for being on the show. Um, we're excited, even despite our hairy mornings this morning. We both seem to have had a, a, a troubling morning this morning. Um, we were talking earlier before we got on the show about keeping it real, especially in uh, spiritual circles where things tend to get brushed under the rug and bypassed. So uh, today we are talking about sovereignty and um, not just the word about like what it means to bring our power back, but those of us who identify as women, uh, what does it mean to exist in this world and take our power back? Um, and specifically we'll be getting into, uh, childbearing, uh, sovereignty and what that looks like, which I'm, I'm quite honestly nervous to talk about because I was so triggered by my very traumatic experience mm -hmm. and maybe in some ways it'll be cathartic, but like. <laughs> us getting into the nitty gritty about some of those things. But before we go into all of that, um, you have quite a story. 
and I would love for my listeners to be able to hear the journey that you've been on through uh, addiction and loss and coming to this place where you become this incredible leader and and an expert and a coach. Oh, that's so kind. Well, I think that any good leader, coach, or uh, way shower has had to walk through their fair share of dark nights of the soul. I think it makes us you know, worthy of uh, way showing, if you will, right? It just does because we've gone to some of those twisty, windy places. So um, welcome to all of us and congratulations. If you're listening to this podcast, you've probably had your own um, places where you've just been like, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. I don't, with the tools I have in the toolbox, it's just, I'm not going to make it through and I'm not going to uh, evolve. And so in in those places are when we reach for something else and it's so brave and it's so courageous and it's so needed. And so, you know, you talked about childbearing and those are one of those places. And I just love that women as women, we can come together and do our own version of a red tent and just talk about, you know, this is a place where I felt like I gave something up. This is a place where, how did you walk through this? How did you hold how did you step into another version of yourself? You know, so that's just one pocket of places. But in my story, and I did have, I've had, I've given birth to four children. So my first birth was completely turning my power over and not owning it and not knowing that I could, not knowing it was possible. So it was other women that sort of said, you know, you, you could try it this way next time. And that being a light bulb moment or a, a stepping into that new, uh, availing of power, if you will. Mm -hmm. But my story, so I grew up sort of all over the world in my childhood and had a really tumultuous uh, childhood with parents coming in and out and all kinds of things like that. And I do believe that I had an addictive gene that kind of didn't show up till later in life. It showed up in different things. It showed up in how I spent money. It showed up in how I loved. It showed up in um, how I depended on other people or my, my worth, my uh, just sense of self hmm. showed up in my spirituality. You know, I met a meditation teacher when I was 17 and I, my father had, my stepfather had passed away. So that was sort of his parting gift left me with an existential crisis of sorts. Like, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. And what is the point of things? And at 17, that's not particularly uh, an important question to my, my peers anyway. Yeah. So I was very, very alone and empty. And I think, you know, I started seeing inklings of how I could um, numb out, you know, through different things. That was the beginning of it, but it didn't pick up speed. Thankfully, I did meet that meditation teacher and from there, I actually moved to India and I had this incredible spiritual awakening in this meditation retreat that I didn't want to go to that my mom bribed me to go to because she could feel my existential crisis. She was like, I think this meditation might be the thing. And, you know, whenever this was in the 80s, 80s, oh my God, yes, in the 80s, <laughs> I wasn't, it wasn't terribly like meditation and yoga, like none of that had really, you know, wasn't mainstream you right. know, at all. So, um, I remember doing going to this retreat and my mom bribed me to go on a date with someone very famous at the time who some a friend of ours knew and I didn't want to. I, I wanted to go and she didn't want me to go. So she said, if you do this, we'll go to the I'll let you go on that on that date. Um, and so that was the materialistic <laughs> way that I showed up for myself on the mat. 
And I had a classic Kundalini awakening with just mm -hmm. fire up the spine, weeping, heart blowing open, um, knowing this is, I want more of this. Um, and I want to know God, right? I want to know, um, I want to experience this feeling within my body, you know, on a regular basis. So um, that, I guess you could say that was a form of addiction too, because I had an inkling and I always, anytime something good would pass through, I would just grab on. Mm. And in this sense, it actually worked for me. Um, so you can see where a character asset becomes a character defect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So it brought me that tenaciousness. I didn't go on that date. I couldn't care less about the date after that. I was I was on fire. Um, and so I went to India and I finished my studies there, um, went to school there and, you know, just worked, if you will, in this ashram. And I absolutely took to it. I loved the routine. I loved the schedule. I loved getting up at three in the morning and doing the chanting and work. I just, it, it it hit a lot of things for me, the structure that I've been looking for and the depth of contemplation and all of that. So that's a lot to go through at 17. I guess it was, it just felt right. You know, yeah. no one else was doing it. There were other kids there. So there were other children there, other adults and other things. I mean, it was really, um, and India is just so, you either have a love affair with it or you don't, or you don't quite get it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's kind of an assault on the senses in that it's just, it's just, it's potent. And I, as soon as I hit the tarmac that for, I was like, I'm home. Like I felt that feeling. So I know I've had a lot of lifetimes there. I'm sure yeah. us have, it's a, it's a, it's a homeland for many. Um, so it felt very familiar. And then from there, you know, I, I took my GED, took my SATs and went off to college. And, um, so I spent several years there and then, um, college was hard to reckon those two worlds together. Yeah. Uh, you know, having lived in that and then all yeah. of a sudden you're going to nightclubs and you're like, you know, I'd grown up in Europe. So it was like, I, that felt very familiar to that whole Euro crowd that I was mm -hmm. in Boston University. So it was very, you know, there was a huge um, population of that. So that, it, was, it was like holding those two worlds together. And it was um, strange. It was very strange, but amazing also. Um, so just did that for finished school and did all of those things and moved around a lot in colleges and went to a bunch of different schools and and then when I got out of there, I really didn't know what I was going to do with myself and, you know, lots of different jobs and things and really trying to keep anchoring into my spirituality, but I couldn't quite manage it. It was very tough. So, um, and I felt like a failure a lot of times, you know, I just really felt like if I wasn't in this exalted state of meditation, then I wasn't doing it right. Mm -hmm. you know? And I had to unlearn all those things over time. But I mean, we know now, like, spirituality in that state you can cultivate when you're washing the dishes you don't need yeah. to do not you don't need all those things so but those are things you learn that's spiritual maturity you mm -hmm. don't have to bypass you don't have to like sit and be like constantly zen it's like we said at the top of this call it's like really owning your spiritual shit it's yeah. just saying this is a tough morning and there's god in this too or there's source in this too Right. And that takes just so many layers of the onion to get to that there's nothing wrong because I can't hold that um equilibrium with my kids are acting out and i just want to throw stuff you know <laughs> it doesn't mean it's not working for me you know what yeah. i mean that's the, that's the the spiritual bludgeoning so many of us do and we have to unlearn it yeah absolutely so you came through that process and then you 
went through college and then you had this, like, I mean, we won't go into this because we're not talking about addiction today. We can talk about that on Patreon actually, um, afterwards, but this coming into your own, like, what was, what was the, first of all, what does sovereignty mean to you? And when was the first time that you were like, Oh shit, this is it. Like this, is I, I need to come back and own myself. Well, that's what addiction does. Cause addiction takes you so far off of sovereignty that, um, it's a particular path to gaining it, right? Because everything is crumbling on the inside and outside and there's no, you know, there's a lot of denial till you get to that place where you're like, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm ready to rebuild from scratch. So, <clears throat> you know, part also is that from college, <clears throat> a few things happened and then I married into Hollywood. And so that I was really attracted to the shiny things. I thought maybe that will fix me some external thing again, like some red carpet and having, you know, all this disposable income and being friends with famous people, like all the things that we think, if I can't find it in the job, I can't find it in this relationship. Well, maybe if I ratchet it up and really go after this, all the things that the whole world propagates, right. that can deliver it. And that's not to say I didn't have great relationships in those things. It wasn't all hollow. You know, I'm a spiritual being and I attracted people that were, you know, in their own at, at my level also. So it wasn't like it was all empty, but um, I definitely had that, had that overlay of that superficial you know, um, wanting to fill the void, right? Right. So I bottomed out on that. And then, then addiction popped in because it was like, well, if it's not this, then it's gotta be that. Cause I can't manage anymore. It's too painful to live on this plane, on this 3D plane and not be able to mitigate and manage my feelings and uh, the powerlessness that I feel around me, not being able to find my place in the world. And I had surrounded myself by excellence. So everyone around me was at their highest level of creativity and functioning. and. For a while, you can saddle up close to that and think that, you know, I'm in that place too, but there's an imposter syndrome that is right. so acute and that's so painful. So I think that also fueled the addiction. And so anyway, I had a very public bottom and I was arrested. I went to jail. It was really fun times. Um, I read um, about it in your, your yeah. blog. <laughs> Man. Yeah, I did. I wrote about it for, um, I was a contributing life coach, uh, in-house life coach for Poosh, um, and they asked me to do it and I hadn't done it before publicly. I'd done it plenty of times, you know, in recovery spaces, but I hadn't done it publicly. And it was, I just felt like it was, a, it was an offering. So if anyone wants to read that, that's mm -hmm. actually on my, on my uh, Instagram. But um, I talked about just that plotting through like with more and more detail than I am now. Mm -hmm. the mindset around it um but yeah so that happened and then it was really like my having children didn't make do it for me having this illustrious marriage with the with a lovely person uh didn't do it for me having being loved having all the things and i think having had that incredible spiritual path didn't do it for me so it's really really like well, where do you turn where do you go? And that's when I think that question of God, help me, help me figure this out. Because all these paths, I've been to extremes of living in an ashram and living in Hollywood and doing all the, you know, the two ends of the spectrum. I just couldn't uh, be kind of center. That's really essentially what it was. I couldn't find that resting place within myself where I could manage life from and not get rocked all the time. Mm -hmm. And I did, you know, the 12 step world showed up for me major and I wasn't a joiner I wasn't into it I didn't want to do it I didn't really think 
I mean, I knew what I was because it was pretty obvious at that point because um, the, the way that I was using and drinking and all of that. But um, I didn't think I needed to do it through that path. But funny enough, I met a few women and that's always, women have always been my way showers. Hmm. You know, uh, for me, it doesn't mean for everybody. For me, it has been. It just feels safe and it felt um, they've walked in my shoes and that integrity matters a lot to me. Um, so uh, I found there was a few women who, you know, took me through this step work framework of steps and the, the 12 steps are fucking genius. They're just genius, you know, and it's not just about abstaining. It's about shifting the blueprint from which you live. So that was a very potent way for me to excavate my past and how I wanted to stand in the center of all the wreckage that I'd done mm -hmm. and also create a relationship with something greater than me that was uh, true and real and practical and something I could lean on on a daily basis and that um, wasn't exalted, although I have had those experiences in these 18, almost 18 years of recovery, but it's also just you know, that feeling of closer than my hands and feet. And so that's what I did. And then I had a hypnosis, you know, a hypnotherapist who showed up on my timeline and I had different healers and I had, so it all, it all kind of came together and being in Los Angeles as smoke and mirrors as LA can present itself as, and that's what drew me to it, like a moth to a flame. It's also has this under, you know, this matrix underneath it of healing that is, hmm. It attracts the most incredible people who can can really hold space for those that are falling off, mm -hmm. you know, the, the 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 Maya, and so they're right there to catch catch them. And it's I mean I have chills saying that because there are just so many beautiful people that showed up for me, mm -hmm. and um, really helped me take everything back. So I had to give back all the all the shiny things that I cultivated and curated, all the position, all the power that I'd had there, and you know for the first year or so my husband and I tried to figure things out and then I was quickly growing in a different direction and he was going in his and so I had these two small kids that I had to raise and um and I didn't quite know how to do it you yeah. know so it was it was I had I overstaffed myself out of my own life you know that was a <laughs> blessing and a curse is what had happened so I really just pared everything down and through the direction of others and just really putting my spirituality at the forefront of my life and service, I started working with other women. Mm -hmm. And that was really, it's like I learned something, then I turn around and give it away. And I learned something and I turn around and give it away. And that's the model of the 12 step world, you know? Um, and it really made it feel like it was mine, like I was owning it. Mm. So it was, um, and it wasn't, I'd been able to have all these, I'd been able to impress tons of people with my spirituality, you know, because I'd lived in India and be like, well, it's amazing, you're so spiritual. And yet I couldn't, like, you know, <laughs> function in the world. So it was just very, this, this, I've always felt like that imposter, if you will. Yeah. And I felt like, so just doing these small acts of showing up for myself, showing up for my kids, you know, um, helping another woman stay sober one day at a time or doing, I started to see things shifting and changing and my thinking shifted and changed. And then I, again, I mentioned hypnosis. Mm -hmm. That was a huge um, shift that I noticed incrementally. And I started having faith and confidence that not only would I not drink again, because that's just a symptom, right? But that I could live on life on life's terms. It's one of the quotes of that world. And it felt like that. And no matter what was coming, because I had lots of disappointments, lots of setbacks, lots of fears, I, I just kept anchoring into that sovereignty 
that um, I know my place in this world. Now I'm right-sized in the world that I live in. I'm starting to learn who I am, what I am, and how I serve. That's a, a Paul Selig. I like that, that I'm, I'm right-sized yeah. for the environment that I live in. Um, I was always aspiring to something out, out there. Do you know? Um, yeah. I was told you could do anything of so much potential and I had a lot of gifts, but I couldn't, couldn't, they couldn't connect. They weren't connecting. And yeah. I could just in these small ways, I started to grow inside that confidence, that um, connection, that self-love started to grow. And from there, it's so interesting when that happens, you care less and less mm -hmm. about all those other things. And so I started to live in this world that was run by people, places and things. And yet um, the expansion that was going on within me was so delicious and so true and so real and what I'd always sought. So it looked like from the outside, I was losing yeah. all the things in the world. And my friends would reflect, oh, that's all real. Wow, <laughs> wow, you're living in this tiny little shack with your kids. And oh, you know, it, but I did, it didn't matter. I just kept saying, I want the life that source wants for me. I mm -hmm. want the life source. And by saying, but it's really my higher self. I didn't know that at the time. Like that was what I was trying to just be directed by that part of me that pops out of addiction, that pops out of the inner child that had been wreaking havoc everywhere. The part of me, the subconscious programming, that's what I was trying to anchor into and to connect to. Hmm. And that voice started to get louder and louder and all the other noise was feeling less and less resonant. And the parts of me that had run my life rampant um, started, the volume started to get dialed down. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I have, um, so I'm a card reader. And there's this card that comes out all the time called the sovereign. And every time I pull this card, the, the, the thing that I say with it is like, this is the Beyonce card. Okay. <laughs> this is you owning the fullness of who you are and the expression and like giving two fucks about what anybody else thinks about it. Um, that's my funny way of saying that card. But to me, it's such a powerful card. Um, and when we talk about sovereignty, how, um, what is it, what does it look like? to, to own your power. And I love how you said it looked like from the outside that you were losing things. And in fact, you were gaining the world within yourself. You were learning, like, um, I noticed that I have an addictive personality as well. And I'm, I'm very, I've been very aware of it from a really young age. And uh, part of me recognized for a very long time, it was like, I always felt like something was missing mm -hmm. and I'm always trying to gain more. And like you said, it shows up in shopping, it shows up in dating, it shows up in whatever. Um, and I notice, I, I always notice when it starts to tilt, you know, towards the extreme and I go, okay, what am I looking for? Cause mm -hmm. I'm on one and I'm, I'm I, like, I'm not owning myself during that time. I'm looking for something to own me. Mm -hmm. I'm looking for something to come outside of me, to give me that anchoring or give me that feeling or satiation or whatever. Um, and, and that's a, that's a hard thing. Um, so thank you for sharing, first of all, sharing your story and sharing that with us. Um, so elegantly, <laughs> you're such an elegant woman. Um, but so we're going to, we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about childbirth sovereignty, which I think is such a, an interesting topic because, um, for those who have ovaries and those who can have, uh, children, um, let me rephrase that. Cause some, not everybody with ovaries can have children, but anyway, um, there, my experience was so traumatic and um, I talk very little about it on the show. In fact, most people don't really know what happened, but um, to give a short end of it is that like I went through um, an induction 
Um, I was told by the doctors that like, because I had gestational diabetes, that the baby was going to be really big. I, I remember watching something on your Instagram about that. We'll talk about that. Um, and so they were worried. Um, I also had a lot of preeclampsia, uh, issues or whatever blood pressure and whatnot. Um, so it was a really, really difficult pregnancy. I was in the ER like four times during the whole pregnancy. I fell down the stairs, like there's just all kinds of stuff that was happening. And I was so scared and anxious that I wasn't going to be able to usher this little one in safely, that there were a lot of moments where I let the fear get to me, um, my own fears. And then the fears that the doctors had. So when they, uh, came through and, um, decided, okay, the induction was the best route to go. I remember I had a, um, one of my friends who's a doula and she was like, do you want to get the induction? And I was like, part of me doesn't want, I really would like to do this naturally. I would really like this, this baby to come on our own, but I'm so scared that we're going to have another episode where my, the preeclamptic stuff starts happening, or, um, this is going to happen or the gestational diabetes is kind of cause this and whatever. Um, I had also had a high rate, uh, of probability for down syndrome and other things. And so anyway, there was just all this stuff. And I, in those moments of the overwhelm that I was experiencing, I just felt like you know, I, I, I've never done this before. I don't know what's the best way to go. So I go through the induction period. Um, I, I told my, my partner verbatim, I'm afraid that I'm going to get the induction and the Pitocin's going to be this, and my cramps are going to be so bad, blah, blah, blah. And that the epidural doesn't work. <laughs> um, and then I'm going to experience this. The epidural will slow it down or whatever. I'm not going to progress. And then this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And then I'm going to have to get a C-section. And what I'm really afraid of is I'm going to have this postpartum hemorrhage. And I had done enough research about it to, to be dangerous. <laughs> um, but also, I also believe that I, I've died in a past life, um, giving childbirth or having childbirth. And then um, that I've lost a child during mm -hmm. childbirth. So I have all of these, these phobias, all of these fears. Um, like since I was 10 telling my mom, like, I don't want to have kids cause I'm afraid like I'm going to die. So anyway, all that to say to this comes to this pinnacle moment where then I'm in this experience at the hospital, doing the labor, having all these this stuff stuck to me and all these wires and having doctors coming in, giving cervical checks that feel like rape, feel oh, yeah. like assault and yeah. so, so much stuff, you know, like no sleep and you know, all of it. Um, just to then be told, okay, well, you're not progressing. Like, yeah. I, and, and I prolonged it as much as I could. We're about three days in and they're like, all right, uh, we're going to have to do C-section. The baby's head is swelling and this is happening. This, that, and the other. So I'm in this, like with no, no time to make a decision really. And they're telling me something's going to happen. Something, you know, could happen to my, my daughter Veda and like, okay, fine. You know, we'll, we'll do the surgery. And then I get into the surgery and they do the thing and I have postpartum hemorrhage and pass out on the table. Like, oh. Exactly. Exactly what I said. So, so all of that stuff to go down only to wake up, you know, later, like I already, I could hear them saying her BP is dropping, her BP is tanking, go get this, oh. go get that. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to get, get to meet my daughter. Oh, Aaliyah, yes. So, <laughs> sorry. Um, it was just, it, it was, it was awful. And I, sorry, I can't imagine even trying to have for another child because I cannot put myself through that again. I won't. Um, it was, it was too much. And so when I heard your post on Instagram, 
I was so, I was so moved by it because one, there was, you know, how like people have that shame of feeling like I should have done it this way. I wish, you know, high side is always 2020. I wish I just like said no to the induction. I wish, you know, whatever. And I let all that stuff get to me. Um, so I don't, in, in my head, I feel bad that I don't have a chance to do it again the way I want to. Um, cause I won't even entertain it now. Like <laughs> I had a dream a couple of days ago that a boy is coming in and I was like, no, I can't do it. I, I can't do it. And who knows, like, maybe that'll change. I don't think so. I'm asking David to get a vasectomy, but <laughs> I, all of that to say, if those of you guys who are listening, you have probably experienced something like that too. You know, this type of trauma, probably not just in childbirth, but specifically when we talk about the experiences that women go through, you know, it was so moving to hear that post and to hear like all of, all of the aspects of which you can start to entertain different concepts that are all around taking your power back. So sorry, talk for a really long time. Oh my God. <laughs> no, thank you. Oh my God. It's so vulnerable and so raw and it's going to help somebody. Your experience is going to help somebody for sure. Thank you. You shared that. Thank you. But I want you to speak on what you spoke on, on that post, because I think it's, it was so transformative for me to hear um, uh, you know, like ways in which we can find, especially in child, childbirth, taking our power back and where you came to that conclusion. Cause I know you've gone through that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, I think the, the first birth that I had, like I said, I, I really didn't know it was even possible to advocate for yourself. I didn't know you could do a home birth. I didn't know it could be natural. I didn't know it could be, um, organic. You know, and that's and I also want to say that there's a surrender that has to happen in childbirth too. like we cannot manage all the details of it and the birth your child, you can have a great birth plan, you can have like a home birth with candles and crystals and then it turns goes a different direction. And so we have to be um, flexible. Right and not beat ourselves up and just trust that the baby has a plan too, you know, and they want to come in in a certain way and that's, they're right, mm. you know? So we're, it's a co-creation, right? It's, a, it's, it's really between you and your baby. It's your first adventure together. You know I mean? You carried, but it's, it really yeah. is that next, like, you know, dropping off at the pool, like dropping off yeah. at, the, at the, here you go, like we're here now, you know, so this is it. You're taking your first breath outside of, you know, this watery, delicious space that I've carried you in for a while. Um, so I do think a surrender has to happen. And that, that said, you know, cause best laid plans, right. But that first birth, it did feel very medical. I thought I had to be yelling and screaming and I thought I had to be turning my power over. I thought it looked, there's a certain part of you where you're detached watching it going like, I guess this is what you do. I guess this is what you say, doctor, get this baby out of me. Like there's all these, you know, cliches and things that we've grown up seeing and, this is how women act. And so the second birth, I actually fell into a group of a mommy group and um, they had all done different kinds of births. I mean, I moved to LA, I was in New York and I moved to LA and these women welcomed me in and I'm so grateful we're still friends, but um, they had done, a few of them had done home births and we talked about that. And I decided when I got pregnant that I was gonna try to do not a home birth, but I was going to do a natural birth and I wasn't going to use anything to mitigate those those feelings i was sober then um so that was important to me um and so in order to do that i had to prepare like you would for 
a marathon or a race. Like I had to create different imagery in my mind. Um, actually, I hadn't discovered hypnosis yet, but I do feel like we're such visual people, most of us, that someone said, watch these underwater Russian births. And so it was the first time I saw that really made a huge impression on me as I saw women getting very still and very quiet and you know, squatting and reaching down and, and breathing and using their breath as a framework through contractions and to just absolutely be with themselves and their innate power and wisdom. And um, instead of screaming and yelling and looking externally, doctor, someone else save me, get me out of this, make this pass quickly, you know, take the pain down, like all those things. It was just that the power of breath. And I watched these women pull their babies out, put them on their chest and just you know, some of them had orgasmic births. So that was like a whole other, you know, <laughs> notion of like what you could actually have pleasure from this. Mm -hmm. um, so I think by the third or fourth baby, I was like, I'm going to try for the orgasmic birth. But by the second, <laughs> I was just like, let me just have the natural birth. One thing at a time. <laughs> One thing at a time, people. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I did do that. I was in a hospital, but the, there was nobody involved in it. It was me. I think my mom was sitting there in the and she actually had a vision of me surrounded by all these, you know, the sacred circle of women in cloaks, you know, because I remember looking at her and she was like looking at me with this very odd look. And she told me later that's what she saw because mm -hmm. I was on my hands and knees doing that, breathing and making sounds and, you know, doing, you know, just really committing to my, to this labor. And so I got to have that opportunity to have it in a different way. Mm -hmm. So grateful for it. And then by the other two births, I was advanced maternal age. <laughs> She's using quote marks. I am. Pregnancy. That's right. You're like, what? Like, who are you talking to? That's exactly. <laughs> um, so there were like other considerations. And so, but I, I found like that third birth, I had these medwives and be careful because these are wolves in sheep's clothing. You know, they're very much, they act like they're, this is the, they're all they're down with all of that. But at the end of the day, they're clocking in and they want to get out of there. And they're like, this isn't progressing fast enough. And I felt that. Mm -hmm. And um, so that happened. I had a version of what you had of it kind of slipping away from me and the Pitocin. And once you get on the Pitocin train, like it's very hard. I, I did manage to to do it, but it's very hard because you've lost the space between the contractions to reset yourself. Yeah you know, to be able to catch your breath and do that. And I remember just feeling this is slipping away because I'd had the birth before. Yeah. Like, it's not how it is. You know, this is not how it feels like. Um, and so just surrendering to that. And they were like, well, we need to think about doing this. And I was like, F off, you know, because I had already done it. Mm -hmm. um, and I did manage to have that birth that way. And, and then the fourth one was, she was a moose. She was 11 <laughs> pounds, 11 pounds. Oh. And I did, that was a natural birth and that was incredible. And I had a birth bar and I was in the hospital. I had this old, older midwife who'd done, you know, I think thousands of births and this was her last one. And oh, wow. Yeah. And she was like, been to nom, you know what I mean? In childbirth. <laughs> and she was like, you're having this baby. <laughs> she was like, that's not pushing. What's that? <laughs> And I always have my mantras playing and my chanting and quiet rooms. And like, I, I, I set my space, you know, I have my, Christmas yeah. I bring all that with me wherever I go. You know, all my children have brought in with mantras playing and yeah, you know, no matter what place I was birth space I was in, but anyway, so that was, that was that one. And she, you know, flew out and I had nurses coming to see me in the 
you know, in the delivery room afterwards going, we just have to meet the woman who had this 11 pound baby naturally. <laughs> I was like a Shiro, you know, like, I'm glad I can be that for you because it didn't start out that way for, you know, four times in. So I think it's just all the journeys. And I think, you know, I think, I hope that's what I had shared in the Instagram. I'm not quite sure if that was hundred percent it, but it was just saying, yeah. you know, to really, at the end of the day, it's you and your baby and you're in a conversation. And if you're not, if you're, you're still looking outside of you for that solution for someone else to tell you and at the same time we have to listen, but then we have to trust our own selves. And I, I've had different versions of that. It's not like I got more and more sovereign each time. Mm -hmm. They just, you have, there's a surrender. Mm -hmm. and I just, you know, I think seeing that imagery, I would, I would love to talk to you about hypnosis, you know, to re re reset your version of childbirth. Mm -hmm. reset. A lot of women come through my practice for fertility and, you know, the sub getting the subconscious and recruiting that on board and having it be in a different, having a different experience around something is so incredible. It's such an amazing thing to have happen. So let's talk about that because I know that I did. So in my process of, of trying to gear up my mind and shift, I was, I recognized the past life stuff and I was like, okay, yeah. if it happened in this life, it maybe won't happen in this one or, you know, whatever. And I was addressing my guides and, um, talking to, to Veda in the womb and saying, okay, like you can come through, we're going to be safe. We're going to, you know, um, you know, trying to like pump her up, you know, like, Hey, let's, let's get out of there. Um, <laughs> Same time. Come on, huddle up. Let's go. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then I did the hypnobirthing, uh, like, uh, recordings and stuff like that. Actually hypnotherapy is something I would like to go into at some point. Um, I've done enough research in it and I love, uh, the practice itself. So, and I had my crystals and I, my mantras and all that kind of stuff. Um, but changing the subconscious being really an important part to, um, shifting your awareness around certain situations around trauma, uh, somatic experiences that you can shift. And, um, then also seeing how, how the reframing, uh, can really, really help. Maybe you can speak to that because especially within, you know, womanhood. We talked, we had an episode a couple of weeks ago where we talked about reframing, um, your, your mindset around your period and, mm -hmm. and how that was like, you know, for a lot of people, it's like, oh, it's terrible. And it's this, and, um, people who experience infertility, you know, having, uh, obsessive, uh, kind of components that interact with, if I do this and I control this and I can make this happen, then I can get pregnant and how that works against them. And in some aspects, and then, you know, compulsiveness in, in, raising your children, even like reframing all of those things. So talk to us a little bit about hypnotherapy and what it does in order to, to, to esteem those efforts towards reframing a perception and changing an outcome. Well, the subconscious runs 95% of our life. So you have a subconscious mind and it houses all your emotions. So anything you've ever felt, um, all your imagination. So anything you can, that's why I said we're visual. So when we see things, it, it stimulates uh, the subconscious and it lays down tapes and then um, every memory you've ever had. And I think also from other lifetimes, it's where your Akashic records, it's all that it's all there. So you can have how that operates is like, you can have an idea of how you want something to go, but your subconscious ends up hijacking that idea, that fresh idea you have in the conscious. I'd really like to do this. And the subconscious goes, no, this is what we know. These are, these are how we determine 
um, how outcomes, these are, these are factors. It's factoring in this work, this, in, and then it downloads a memory from another time. This is how it's going to play out. Mm -hmm. And so it looks like hijacking, but what I say is it looks like it's the saboteur, but what it's really trying to do, and it's genius how source created us this way is that it's showing you places where you're not healed. It's mm. showing you places. It's like flags on the field, you know, like, oh, this part, take a look over here. Cause there's, a, it's, there's an incongruence around what you're setting your mind towards and what you actually want. So there's healing to be done. And hypnosis is just one way to come at it. You know, it's one way we drop into this theta state, which is the place where the subconscious can be renegotiated. So we have beta, which we're in now, and we have alpha below that and then theta and delta sleep below that. So it's this magic theta state where you can upload a new idea around something and really reconfigure old memories, old imprints, programming, anything like that, that's really just no longer for your highest good. Mm -hmm. So what that would look like is for childbirth, I mean, you did the hypnobirthing, so you have a sense of dropping into that theta state. Um, and we usually don't really drop into there that much unless you're in like a deep meditation. Yeah. And those are hard to come by. You know, usually we're usually in the alpha mm -hmm. states. But um, so in childbirth, you would be constantly uploading this new framework, as you said, of what it's going to look and feel like going forward. So you're creating, this is the visual, this is how this is going to play out. My, um, we're dropping and releasing any old um, imprints around it. Mm -hmm. We're releasing any past life expressions from the past that are, that are manifesting in this now time. And so you're reworking it from that place. At the same time, as I said before, there is a surrender that happens that your baby is going to come in a different way. And there's so, so we can only do, we can only work so much and then we have to just allow things to be as they are, but you can feel like I'm doing my part. I can do my part and that's the best I can do. And that's why I feel like we get into trouble in the spiritual world with manifesting, mm -hmm. you know, like we're manifesting, manifesting, but then where's the surrender? Where's the humility? Where's the, yeah. if it's highest good. Yes. Yeah, and then you go, it's not working. It's not working. Well, because you always put in that caveat. If you're manifesting, just always add that little piece in. If it's for the highest good of all, because we don't want to infringe on anyone else. There's other people that are impacted by our manifestations. Mm -hmm. So it's just a really humble way to stay. Because um, we don't always know what for the, we don't always have the purview to be able to see as a 30,000 foot view of what would benefit me the greater in the greatest way? So when you are manifesting anything at all, just always add that in. If it's for the highest good of all, which is I, what I want. I, I absolutely love that because we talk so much about manifestation on this show. Um, I put people listen to the show already know, but like I manifested like this dream uh, life in like a year. And mm -hmm. like, I went from being single and broke <laughs> and um, you know, traveling around a lot, I still had like a really great life, you know, in, in all, uh, all things considered. Um, but I was looking for love and I was looking for, you know, to have my, my little like fairy tale story after I had a really tumultuous divorce and, you know, all this stuff. So, um, any year I got my, my partner, my baby, my house, my job, you know, all the stuff. Mm. And, um, I always thought when, when I teach manifestation, exactly what you said, there's an element of surrender that needs to come and take place. And to me, like surrender is something that people don't like to talk about because surrender is very difficult to do, um, to say, I don't have any control here. Um, but in, in a lot of areas to me, that is sovereignty. 
That is you taking your power back, you letting go of something that's not serving you, that's not for your highest good, but, or like even just, even when we're trying to control things, right. We're in this position of holding on to something that I want this to happen this way or whatever. And especially in childbirth included. <laughs> um, so when you get to that place of saying, okay, I have to, I have to surrender, have to let this go. You can actually go back inward and, and reclaim like what you, what you do have, what you do uh, have control over what you like if we have any control at all but um I, I love that as a caveat you've been able to renegotiate your subconscious because if you if you've been able to call this in somehow you have done that mm-hmm. you have chosen the same thing over and over despite programming that's happened so that's that's another way to work with your subconscious like even though you know, you can attract the subconscious is what calls in that same partner over and over. So right. if you have an upgrade in partner, somehow you renegotiated by choosing, you healed, mm. you renegotiated that. So you, you're a master manifester. You're able to work with your subconscious and that's really beautiful. Thank you. Um, and I wanted to just say about surrender, people think that surrender means giving up and yes. it's not, it just means, you know, allowing um, something greater to move through you as you. And we always want to be plugged into that because otherwise the ego thinks I need this to be happy, which is what I talked about at the top of this with addiction. I need this. I need the famous husband or I need this in my closet or I need so that you could be manifesting all those things. But when it, you could still manifest all those things, that's wonderful. But when you when you add that part of surrender, like I surrender to whatever you whatever you think is best. Unfortunately, we don't have faith in that. Mm. that part of us we don't have faith that our higher self could be maneuvering and seeing things from the bird's eye view and so if you've done that enough times of manifesting things and going like i don't actually want this what i worked so hard and it's not actually what i thought it was going to be that's when you bottom out and you're like you know what why don't i turn this over to something greater so i can keep taking all the do all the footwork it's not like you sit back and say surrender god figure this out like that's not it Mm-hmm. That's spiritual shit in the bad way, right? It's, <laughs> it's doing everything you possibly can do with the purview, with the, the, the vision that you have, going to that place, right up to that place where you say, this is as far as I can go. And now I allow the universe to do the rest. Mm-hmm. It's the most proactive. Surrender is the most proactive tenet in spirituality, on the path that I know of, because it's a very fine line. It's a gray area of knowing when to stop pushing and when to allow. And you start to feel it because it's a click within yourself. It's yeah. that it's within yourself. Like this is now I'm leaning into it instead of um, resisting. Yes, yes, exactly. And there's going to be resistance. There's going to be you know obstacles because it's refining you to become the person who's worthy of stepping into that next manifestation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I find that first of all, what you just said was like super beautiful. <laughs> um, and guys, don't you just love how on brand she is? continuing with the spiritual shit. I love it. Sorry. Um, I, I think it's, it's such an interesting perspective because a lot of people do see surrender as giving up. And when you're in a place dealing with addiction, when you're in a place dealing with infertility, when you're in a place dealing with like where, you know, you're, you're in the thick of it, where your shit is falling around you and, and you're trying to manifest a better situation. Your subconscious is going, typically we call it, we, uh, we associate our subconscious often with our ego. Um, and, and everybody, I'm not in the camp that everybody's like, ego is bad. Ego is bad. Ego is bad. I think 
You'd be a blob of consciousness without it. We need our ego. Exactly. We just don't we want it. Our ego. Yeah. Exactly. It's, right. It keeps us safe, you know? Um, and subconscious is looking for data and all that data and assuming it all together, uh, putting it all together to say, okay, in the past, this has kept us safe. In the past, this didn't work out so nice for you or whatever. And you upgrading, like you said, reprogramming, reshifting that consciousness to a place of, of, negotiating with your, okay, this is, uh, we, we want this now though. Like, okay, I'm going to put this in. You're going to put this in. Okay. I want this now. So that being such a wonderful way, I, I believe, and I, it all comes back to bringing your power back. Like you coming to a place to be able to renegotiate your subconscious. You want to talk about powerful, like mm-hmm. that, that's a pretty big deal. So what are some ways that people can access that part of themselves, become aware of that part of themselves and get into a place where they, they can recognize where their, their abilities are to renegotiate part of their subconscious for better outcomes. Well, you can drop yourself into, um, that state through breath. First of all, through counting, through breath, drop yourself into that theta state. Um, so, and then from there, just picture on the screen of your life. This is, I'm teaching self-hypnosis right now. So you count down, you do three deep breaths, and then you'd count yourself down 10, one, 10, nine, eight, all the way down, and then see a screen on your screen of how you see yourself, feel all everything, everything you'd feel in this perfect outcome. So really like see what you're wearing, what you're saying, what you're doing, how you're feeling, and just picture that, keep doing that. Then picture yourself calling someone and saying, I can't believe it's done. I did it. I set this into motion and I finally achieved it. And then come up with a phrase for yourself that maybe it's, a, it's like, um, it'd be like, when I, when I love myself, I feel happy. Hmm. Or when I birth this baby, everything flows easily. Hmm. Right? So you find your phrase that, that it really holds the emotion and, and the vision together. So you couple the two together in one phrase. And then repeat that 10 times to yourself and then repeat it throughout your day. Anytime something else comes out, repeat that phrase again, mm-hmm. drop yourself back into the breath, repeat that phrase again. This is how you program your subconscious. When you go to sleep at night, you're dropping through those beta, those states from beta to delta. So you will pass through theta. So when you're falling asleep, repeat that phrase because that is impregnating the subconscious mind. And when you're waking up, you're moving through delta up through theta, alpha and beta again, You're going through those states you can program your subconscious in those states. And if you wanna know what programming is running your life, when you get angry or when you're triggered, what phrases pop up for you? When things don't go your way, that's when you get a clue in, wow, this is what's, this is what, nothing ever works out for me. Mm. I never get what I want. Everyone else is always getting, like those are your phrases that run your blueprint. Mm. So just start to pay attention. We have 30,000 somewhere thoughts a day. So start to pay attention when you're triggered, when you have contractions, because that's when they'll pop up usually. Mm-hmm. And those are when you start to notice those loops and then say, is that true? And then say something else. What I say, if I hear someone else say a phrase like that out loud, I say to my subconscious, cancel, cancel, cancel. Ooh. I don't pick up on that phrase. I'm not, that's not my truth. That might be yours, but it's not mine, you know, because my subconscious is paying attention. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Oh, that's so important. I'm going to start using that. Cancel, cancel, cancel. <laughs> Um, I started when you were talking about that, I was trying to think about, okay, what are the things that come up for me when I'm mad? And, um, I I noticed that I get a lot of, that's not fair. This is fair. Um, a lot of, a lot of justice orientation kind of things like this isn't fair. 
um, feeling that, uh, feeling it's so funny. There'll be times where there's something completely unrelated. And when I want and, and I'll get really upset or something will happen and I'll say, no one loves me mm. internally. And it's like, th- nobody said they didn't love you. Yes. yes. <laughs> there wasn't anything that happened that was like showing people that, that they don't love you, but that thought will come up like out of the, the gut of myself yes. and go, yes. no one loves you. And, and I'm like, and I can consciously go that has nothing to do with what I'm, you know, like where'd that come from? Um, but recognizing that my subconscious in some way still believes that, or there's, there's still some messaging or programming that I still have yet to heal. Um, and so for me, uh, um, uh, a part of me taking my power back, uh, mm-hmm. would be really getting in tune with, with those areas of my life, you guys as well. Um, in, in order to find, healing to find renegotiation, uh, to those parts of the subconscious to take that, that back. I know that that's something that I'm working through with the traumas that I've experienced around childbirth and, um, still trying to integrate some of those things. Some of the things I won't even talk about because I'm, it's still too, too raw. Even like the therapist that I went to go see, I was like, I just, I, I feel numb. Like my subconscious knows the depth of everything that I experience, And I feel like it's too much still to yeah. be able to come into a place. So I'm still working on renegotiating those portions. What were you going to say? Interesting to do that in hypnosis and renegotiate it and play it over again and do it in a different way. Yeah. From a subconscious perspective and just love yourself so much. And that would be the thing. So that would be really interesting. Aaliyah, for you to try to do that would be that is to go back in and relive it and do it with all the faculties you have now, not under duress mm-hmm. and to revisit it, just to close that loop for yourself. So it's not a trauma and you have the ability to do that. Everybody does and to go back in through and try it again in a different way. Um, and in the most compassionate, loving, holding space for all that, the powerlessness in that moment, and maybe even holding yourself, you know, because it's, this is the self-love game. Right. That's what it is. I mean, that's the spiritual game. It's like, how much more can I love myself right now? That is the game. Like when you're yelling at your kids when you're losing your shit, when you're saying I'm not worthy, because that's, you know, you talked about what your phrases are. Those are so yeah. common. It's not fair and I'm not loved and I'm not worthy. Those are the big, probably the big ones. So it would right. be stop everything. Stop the presses. Stop everything right now. Put your hands on yourself. I love you. I love you. I love you. And then just breathing into that feeling of like, and sometimes putting that pressure, I'm putting my hand on my chest right now. And the other hand, the right hand's on my chest, the left is on my solar plexus. Cause that's where we feel, that's where everything is. It's the will, right? The survival, that, that area down there and the, the, the heart. And so just pushing on that and then saying that. So if those phrases come up for you, really having yourself in that way. And I know it's corny, but it's, it works cause no one else is gonna do it. No one else is gonna say that phrasing exactly how you need it said in those moments where there's duress, you could seek shelter in your partner. And that's a beautiful thing. And that'll, that'll catch, that'll catch you at times. And that's one of the beautiful moments of partnership, but ultimately this is your journey forward, healing all these places and these, these um, phrases we've picked up, these understandings we've picked up. I'm not enough. The world is, does not have me. It's not fair. This injustice. I'm not going to be okay. And so we have to give that to ourselves. Like this matrix is crumbling. It mm. is, it's quickly, it's on fire, this inverted <laughs> matrix, and we're grateful for it, you know, but um, to build what's next, it's going to take tremendous commitment 
individually and collectively to ourselves and we've been doing it so we've been doing it it's not like we're here we're but it's like this next period is vital right yeah absolutely <sighs> we we covered a myriad of topics today <laughs> um but before like we're gonna go head over to patreon and talk um a little bit more let's let, we're gonna share some parenting stories because i want to hear what it's like to, to have four kids i grew up in a family of four and then now eight and so my parents have adopted more children but um we'll talk about that a little bit later but uh before we go i would love for you to leave our audience a lasting thought about what does it mean um you know to you to take your power back just to know that there's nothing outside of me that's going to fill that void it's me i'm the person i've been seeking i am that which i seek i am that i am you know, and I think that is, you know, I do that in meditation. I breathe that in. I am that I am. I am that I am on the outbreath and on the in-breath and really getting that this whole world is set up to pull us out of that experience. So you're not crazy if you haven't been able to drop into it. It's just been about pulling our attention away from the magnitude of um, our connection to self, the magnitude of our ability to create and to um, connect. And so just know that you're up against, you've been up against a lot. And um, now is the time to just anchor back into you. There is no job, no child, no relationship, no perfect child's birth, no bank account. There's really nothing that's going to give you what it is that you're seeking. It can sate you for a minute or two, but it's not going to be that. So every time you catch yourself feeling pulled, oh, 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 like that, just Mm -hmm. stop, pull back in, remember who you are. I am that I am. I am that which I seek. Find the language to you that that feels like that bomb, that those are words for me. Find yours and learn to self-soothe, sister. You know, this is it. This is all the crystals and all those things are wonderful, but it's really where the metal, the, the where is it? Where the rubber meets yes. the road. This, this is the next phase of how we are evolving. It's really just anchoring into all that you are. And if it's uncomfortable, if the noise is so loud inside, try to empty things out, try to work, find a great hypnotherapist, find a great coach, find someone, find a container where you can dump and release and be directed towards another perspective, another a reframe like you, you spoke of. Find that safe person that can help you point you back to yourself. That person is not the solution either, but there are those people along those way shores, you know, we spoke mm-hmm. of find your find, find those people if that place inside you doesn't feel safe if it's too piled up if there's too much trauma if there's too much noise going on. Um, empty that out you can it's totally possible and. Um, make this make yourself your home. Mm. Beautifully said. Thank you, Ryan. Um, can you please tell everybody where to find you. Uh, my favorite place where I just live on and it feels like I have such a beautiful community. Come and join. It's at, um, on my Instagram, Ryan Haddon coach. Nice. And you can also see our website, ryanhaddon.com. Um, we are so excited, uh, to I, just talk during this time and the world and everything that we're seeing on social media and all the fear and all the craziness that's been going on. It's just really nice to have a calm, safe space to come back to ourselves and, uh, have someone has as elegantly as you put it 
um, coming back within. So thank you so much. Um, guys, if you like this episode, please share it with someone you love. We're getting ready to go to Patreon. If you'd like to become a Patreon member, go to patreon.com slash and we will see you over there and we will see you in the next episode. Hello and welcome to Spiritual Shit, your guide to the down and dirty of modern spirituality. This podcast is a place for people wanting to discover more about spirituality, where we can get weird about ghosts, mediumship, aliens, psychics, religion, new age, awakening, ascension, starseeds, channeling, holistic health, philosophy, and even dating. Some shows will be just me rambling about my mystical experiences and discoveries, while other shows will have guests to open up new perspectives and views. I hope you'll join me on this journey as we discuss and open up what spirituality in today's modern world really looks like. Remember to like and subscribe to never miss an episode and hit me up at thelovelylea.com or at thelovelylea on Instagram so we can connect. Become a Patreon supporter to get access to behind the scenes of our guests, freebies, early access to new episodes, discounts on merch, and more.